Yeah, so um, tonight I was going to turn to Romans chapter 8, and um, I'm going to start in verse, where was I going to start? Verse 26, and I'm going to go down to the end of the chapter in, on verse 39. Um, it says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray uh, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, his himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, and he who searches hearts knows what, uh, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then? Sorry. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who, who shall bring at any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who, to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who can separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, the past couple of weeks I've been really struck by the concept that um, Christ is, is the one who fights for us. He's, you know, he, uh, he's the one who fights our battles. We are the ones who basically we have to rely on him uh, fully and um, I just I just love the verse in verse 31 it says what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us it's really encouraging to find um, you can find much encouragement in the fact that God is the one who's for us he's the one who fights for us when we struggle with whatever we struggle with whether it's sin or it's um, you know being insecure or whatever it is, God is not fighting against us in that case. He's fighting for us. He's not looking at us and critiquing us for everything we do. He's fighting for us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be better. He wants us to be more like him. And it's through his work and his work in our lives and in our hearts that we change, that we become more like him. Um, I love the verse in, in verse 33 
He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's his word. It's not our word. It's not what we do to justify ourselves. It's his word. It's what he does. It's what he's already done and what he continues to do in our lives. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That was just kind of a wow verse for me in the last week. When I read about Jesus, the one who not only died for us, but he was risen, he conquered death, as we heard this morning. Also, he is now seated at the the right hand of God. He's most high, and at the same time, he's interceding for us. He's giving us, he's um, communicating for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Um, And it says, as it is written, uh, for your sake we are killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus not only fights for us, he not only intercedes for us, but it's because of his great love. It's because of his wonderful love, which we cannot be separated from as Christians. And that's um, that's why we can go back to verse 28, and we can say, we know that, all th- that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God works everything to our benefit and for his glory. Um, I'd like to thank the Lord and uh, right now, and I guess we'll go on with that. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word and for your love. Um, thank you for being on our side, Lord, and for caring for us so much and for sending your son, Lord, to die on the cross and conquer death. I pray that you'll help us all to um, grow in you, to become more like you, Lord. And, um, and in Jesus' name, amen. I pray that tonight that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and that I wouldn't speak at all and just that your words would be here in Jesus name I pray amen so um, let me unfold my notes so last time when I talked I was up there and I'm glad I'm down here now because it's <laughs> really glad <laughs> it's uh, a lot more comfortable just um, I talked about deciding in your heart what to give and the idea was to be a cheerful giver whether you decide to give money or time or your freedom or your location your family, your ties to your family. There are a lot of things that 
the love of God can demand from you. And so whatever you purpose in your heart, uh, give it cheerfully and don't grumble about it and stick to your decision. So that's what I was talking about last time. And I'm just bringing that up because today it's it's a very similar concept. Um, So I'd just like to turn to a psalm in Psalm 86. Um, This is a prayer of David as a title. And it's a great psalm, um, but we're not going to read the whole thing because I really just want to focus on one verse and look, look at it closely. This, uh, the verse is 11. It's Psalm 86, verse 11. And what it says is, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. This verse struck me while I was reading it because I was um, looking at things in the New Testament that echoed this, uh, and I'll open up to that later, but um, it's a prayer, and this is a prayer not just from nobody, it's not just like, I mean, nobody's prayers are insignificant, but this isn't, this isn't just some marginal figure in the Bible, this is David, and he's saying, these things. So it says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And the first part of this verse is something where probably we all do. We all ask for God to show us the way. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I pray that whenever there is something I don't know, and I don't know anything all the time, (laughs) So this is a prayer I think we're familiar with, and that's good. I will walk in thy truth. That's the next part of it. The next element of this prayer is willingness to go the way that God shows you. And I hope that this is our prayer too. So together when we pray these things, teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. And then after praying a prayer like that, it's good to open your Bible and to read. And so that's often how I approach life's challenges, is to ask God for guidance and to say, I want to do what you show me. I don't want to just read from your word what you want me to do and then not do it. I want to actually, you know, put my feet on the ground and, and do it. So, so that, it's, these are great, but it's actually just the third element of this verse that is mainly what I wanted to talk about. Um, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Or um, <clears throat> in, a, in a different translation, it says, grant me the purity of heart so that I may honor you. Uh, I prefer... I prefer the unite my heart. I like the idea of unity because that's primarily what I'm getting at here. Um, unity is very important to me. It's, it's the most important thing to me, actually. Um, and it, on all kinds of ter- different levels. So 
I'm easily distracted uh, when I'm doing work. I'll easily get distracted or when I'm trying to focus on overcoming a certain challenge, I can get distracted. And so unity is, is something to counteract that. And notice that David is asking for unity. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Because we can't unite our own hearts. That's something we're incapable of. You can't just undistract yourself sometimes. And you can't, you can't just put away things that you shouldn't be focusing on. And so that's one element of it. Um, and it's just like being a cheerful giver, you know. Being a cheerful giver involves setting a purpose in your heart and, and purposing your heart to do something. And also having unity in your heart is similar. Um, just to have, have all that you are going in the same direction. But now it's not that you're looking inside of you and saying, okay, now I'm going to do this. The direction is reversed. Um, David is asking God for unity in his heart. And I think that's a profound prayer because you're recognizing your own inability to control yourself and to unite yourself. We're fragmented and we can't heal ourselves from that fragmentation. So just asking for that unity. And we know that fearing the Lord is the root of all wisdom. So having your heart entirely in that place is a very powerful place to have your heart because the fear of God is the root of all wisdom. Um, and it's also important because my heart is stubborn and I can't get it to do what I want it to do a lot of the time. And just asking for God to unify my heart in the direction that he wants it to be, it's, a, it's just such, such an important prayer to me. So bringing this idea into kind of another area uh, is in Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, in verse 21, what's happening is, I'm starting at 21 just to give context. Um, but what's happening is a man has brought his boy to Jesus, and this boy has been possessed by a demon from since he was a child. And this demon seeks to destroy the boy by throwing him into the fire and throwing him into the flame or convulsing and foaming at the mouth. So um, he asked the father, uh, verse 21, Jesus asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. From childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And, we, and when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. So it's really just the statement of the father that also struck me. Because, um, for example, in James, it says, If you ask for wisdom, 
God is generous and gives to men who ask it. But do we ask for faith? Because certainly faith is required for us to take the initial steps towards salvation. But in seeking to do more and more what is God's will, we look at the challenges that face us in this world and we find that we don't have enough faith to accomplish his will. And we can't just make it. We can't just synthesize it. And so I just love this immediate reaction. It's so honest from this, this boy's father. He says, I do believe, but Lord, help me in my unbelief because I need to believe more and I can't. And I think that's a process of overcoming your unbelief, even as a Christian, that is so important in discipleship. For example, later, later on in this uh, same book, <clears throat> chapter 10, it's the next page, and uh, I won't get into it too deeply here, but uh, I don't want to read the whole thing, but once again, it says in verse 10, 27, looking upon them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? I want to believe that. I certainly do. But I can't just make myself walk on water. I can't. So it's beyond me. It must be from God. It must be only through his Holy Spirit. And so uh, the subject of, of this, this 1027 is, um, is actually the, the disciples are astonished at what Jesus is asking from them and from disciples. Perfect, to be a perfect disciple to, to give up it earlier. It's just talking about the rich, the rich young ruler who has a lot. And he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And I think it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for me to give up everything I have to go follow Jesus. But I pray that by God's grace, that he will give me the faith and the conviction to do so. Because with men, it isn't possible. But with God, all things are possible. And so through God, I believe that it can happen. So yeah.